0: Hey, thanks for being a part of the conversation. My name is Arrow. PodFest brings together three different conversations from musicians to authors, doctors, environmentalists, or cooks in their own kitchen. It's real people with real stories. PodFest 47 features Adrian Crutchfield, a celebrated jazz musician who has been blessed to touch the world. Then we're headed into the world of old shows that we can binge watch today with actor A.J. Buckley from Seal Team on CBS. And we'll wrap things up with Pigs. Author Alicia Pana knows a whole lot about these cute but very messy oinkers. This is PodFest 47. Adrian Crutchfield, a celebrated jazz saxophonist, is adding host to his ever-growing resume. The international touring star has been named MC to Live from the Playroom, the award-winning live stream production from the Queen City's oldest music production facility, the Playroom Recording Studio. Known for his neo-soul sound and level of talent, Crutchfield performed on Icon Prince's last three albums, in addition to working with Prince's backup band, The New Power Generation. Crutchfield's robust touring schedule in recent years has included performances with Lionel Richie, Bat Midler, CeeLo Green, and so many more. His 2017 album Leap submitted Crutchfield's footprint in a searing genre-bending sound. We are unplugged and totally uncut with Adrian Crutchfield. What's up, man? What's going on? You just hanging out, just taking life easy? Oh,
1: yeah. Watching this, this weather, making me real drowsy. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I, I, I thought musicians, when they had bad weather like this, they, they just got, you know, sit down at the piano or some musical instrument and just, you know, got into the blues.
1: No, no, that's the myth. That does not happen. We sleep. That's <laughs> what we do. It's like musicians, we don't, we don't, we, we already have a hard time because we don't sleep at night. Uh, so that's when the creative juices happen, it's like two or three in the morning. But then when you get rain, Like, it's great when it's nighttime it rains, because then we sleep. But when it's daytime like this, it's like you can't, like, you're paralyzed. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, the whole thing about it, if you can get a shark upside down and rub its belly, it'll pass out. Yeah, that's us. (laughs) When it's raining, we're, we're rendered helpless we can't do anything so
0: why do you think it is that 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 creative people can't sleep at night do you think it's because those that are around us maybe the judges and the takers are 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 away from us enough to where we can just open up
1: i think so i think i think it's a number of things i think one is that uh concept that you know that's when everybody else kind of shuts down and so we literally just have open clean clear space to 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 think and just to be free and not be distracted by anything, you know, uh, people calling or texting or active on social media, that kind of thing. So we can really just kind of have a clear space to think. Um, not, I also think it has something to do with like lunar activity. Right. I don't know, you know, like, um, <laughs> it's just, you know, it just seems to make sense, you know, uh, that, that gravitational pull just kind of brings out something. And, uh, and that's when the juices flow. Like I'll literally wake up in the middle of the night with something in my head, and it'll be clear as day. But if I try to wait until the morning, it'll be gone. It'll be gone. Or even if even if I wake up in the morning right after dreaming about it, when once I get to my piano or, or my instrument, it's gone. So if I don't, if it doesn't come to me in the middle of the night and I go do it, then I pretty much lose it.
0: Speaking speaking of that music that we hear in the middle of the night on my on my radio show today, I I actually physically uh, took on the subject of there there has to be a time, sometime in the future, when the music industry will be able to capitalize and monetize the the music that is running through everybody else's head in the middle of the night because it seems like everybody hears a song while they're sleeping, but they're getting that song for free.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. There's going to be a time where oh, that's going to be a very dangerous time. <laughs> I think it was a movie that. Uh... I think there was a movie that, that basically kind of shifted at that where they were like, hey, was it just Dredd? Was they like advertising commercials and stuff in your head? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, like, so like, yeah, it's going to be advertising. They're going to, you know, it's probably, maybe shoot, maybe this whole Corona uh, set when they stick that thing up the nose. That might, that might be the start of it. You so like, they're playing something that they to use uh, to, you know, to advertise, you know.
0: <laughs> well, congratulations on Live from the Playroom. I mean, this presentation is music, it's music in forward motion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, I'm really excited, man. I, you know, I, it's, I, I've been close with Eddie for a long time, and the Playroom's been, you know, like a, another home for me. Um, the playroom was my first experience as far as you know I've been all over the world and I've seen all kinds of rehearsal spaces and, and all that stuff you know SIR and all those global places where we rehearse for tours and things like that um, and it was funny because going to those places uh, for the first few times I was like oh this is like oh this is like their version of playroom because that playroom is what I knew to be that thing That that you know, that concept. So I didn't know, you know, now it's funny because most people come into Charlotte and they say, Oh, this is Charlotte's version of SIR or one of those other, you know, or, or center stage or whatever. And I'm like, Nope, Nope. We're we're our own thing. We're our own. We've got our own thing. So, but it's funny because that's the way most people would look at it. Uh, whereas I'm looking at it from the opposite way, because I came up here and the playroom was that for me. Um, so it's really cool to be, you know, kind of coming back into it as a host with this whole live streaming thing. And I gotta say, man, I mean, what a, what a, what a timing! Uh, this, uh, this whole live streaming thing. You know, Eddie, Eddie had had, you know, talked to me about his plans to do live streaming way before we knew anything about this whole pandemic. Uh, so he was planning this. Uh, without knowing the importance of it which is really crazy because like then the pen like he literally started getting ready for it he got everything set up and then that's when everything got locked down and so it was just I mean the timing was impeccable and you know at first it was it was you know touch and go because we didn't know what this thing was we still don't know what this thing is but uh It was touch and go because we didn't want to have too many people in the room. We wanted to keep everything sterile. We didn't know how to do those types of things, so he was very hesitant. He didn't want to do too much. Um, But then once we kind of figured out the formula, it it just kind of fell together and it just made sense, man. And and I gotta say, you know, uh, you you don't see too many venues that have that that have put in the effort. You will you will see them. But right now you don't see too many venues that have what, what's at the playroom.
0: So now does that change the live audience? Because that's the one thing that I I kind of fear of right now because of these private streaming concerts and stuff like that, because you know, it seems like every time that I see somebody at the spectrum arena, I, I fork out my 250 bucks and I'm still up there in the nosebleed section. But now with these streaming performances, I'm right there in the front row.
1: Exactly. And I think that it's a double edged sword. Um, on one side, so some people are worried that the live streaming thing, when when the live music thing comes back, that the live streaming thing may hinder or hurt the industry. I don't think so at all. I, I think it has the potential to, um, but I think that threat is no different than any other threat that's been presented to us in the past. Uh, the live music industry was already suffering. Um, and so... Uh, you know, like you said, you know, it used to be you pay $250 to go to this show. I think that people are still going to do that because they, uh, they want, what people are actually looking for when they go to these concerts is they want to be in the room. Um, They want to be in the room and, and, you know, they want like, man, you know, I I remember coming up in the music industry and, you know, people talk the talk and they walk the walk. Some people (laughs) would exaggerate. And I remember uh being in a room talking to some guys and they were both, you know, bragging about, you know, their, you know, accolades or what, you know, their experiences. And this one guy was like, Yeah, man, you know, I was uh I was I was hanging out with Usher last night. We were at the club together, you know, having drinks. I figured out very soon that what that really translates to is I was at the club last night. And I was in general, I was in the general population of the club. Right. The big room. Right. And Usher came in and he went to the VIP. I wasn't with him, (laughs) but I was there.
0: That's right. (laughs) And
1: and he had drinks and I was having drinks. So we were having drinks together. That's what that really translates (laughs) to. And so people want just the opportunity to go and be in the presence of those people that they you know, that they idolize and, and the fan that they're fans of, they just want to be in the room. They want to be in camaraderie and, you know, they, they want that social experience. Uh, and they're always going to want that. It's human nature for us to want that, uh, especially with people that we idolize and that we, we fan over and that we love, we, we grow to love. Um, you know, I, I remember the first time I went to a Prince concert. I mean, the, the first Prince concert I went to, uh, which, which was here in Charlotte, uh, Uh, in 2011 uh, I was you know I'd been to many concerts but it was Prince you know I was like I I would love Prince like just to be in the room and then to be to be able to go on I actually was opening with Anthony Hamilton so to be able to go on that stage was a whole another thing and to be able to see him he rode his bike past and sound check and waved at us (laughs) I mean I could have died I could have died man (laughs) I could have died you know but but all the same I could be in the audience up in the nosebleed. Yep. And just to see him, and if he just points at us.
0: So where do you see this growing?
1: Pay-per-view type of thing. That's what I That's what I anticipate. So you can either buy tickets and go to the show if you want that experience, which most people still will. Um, and you got to imagine, how many people do these shows turn away every time they have a show? When they sell out the show and they can't sell any more tickets, how many people are being turned away? Not only that, how many people live in towns how many people live in towns that don't have these shows? You know, for a long time, I don't know if you know this, but for a long time, Charlotte was blacklisted as far as concerts. Yeah, Charlotte, Charlotte was a dead zone for for most major concerts of, well, at least for R B. and uh, Because, and here's why: it's not because we're not a we're a metropolis, we're a huge city. The problem was ticket sales. So if you look at a company like Live Nation or any of those, the way they generate or the way they determine where they're going to go, or where their venues are going to be, is by pre sale Charlotte is not a pre-sales city. Charlotte is a buy-at-the-door, we want to buy our ticket right now before we go in type of city. They're not going to do very well on pre-sales. And so because of that, Charlotte became a Because nobody wanted to invest in concerts here without knowing what the, you know, what the tape was going to be. It was too big of a risk. Um, and so if you imagine other cities, smaller cities, uh, you know, Shelby, North Carolina, uh, you know, anywhere, uh, Roanoke, Virginia, my hometown, where, where these cities were, where they're being passed over by most major big concerts. Imagine how many people in that population want to go and see this show, but can't either. They, they don't have the money to drive and get a hotel in Charlotte or, or they're not old enough or uh, they just can't afford the real ticket. They can still go online and have the experience. It's the thing. How many people watch the Super Bowl? You know?
0: Well you can definitely see that on pay per view. You can see that on pay per view the way that Disney is playing that card where you can get Mulan for thirty bucks and people are going, thirty bucks but you know what, you can you can get ten people in your house and that thirty bucks is a good deal.
1: That's a good deal. And so like that's the thing is like I get into you more people, like back on the Super Bowl thing, I guarantee you there are more people watching Super Bowl on TV than there are in the stadium, uh, <laughs> you know. And so, um, or or a fight, you know, a Mike Tyson fight. Think about Mike Tyson back in, in his prime, you know, a Tyson per view fight. You know how much money they made on that. Um, so, so the industry is actually gonna, I think, is actually gonna thrive when everything comes back because more venues are going to access the live stream. Uh, concept and use it to to, uh, to to supplement what they're already doing. Um, the cool thing is with the playroom is, is you know went early, um, and so and there are there are a few venues in Charlotte that are I'm super proud of Charlotte like just as a whole I'm super proud because there are like five venues here that are maximizing on the whole live stream concept and by maximizing what I mean is. They're not cutting corners. Like I've seen live streams. I've seen I've seen a bunch of them where it's literally just people one thing I can't I can't tolerate, Arrow, is when I see people say, I'm gonna have a live stream full concert, blah blah blah, get your ticket, blah blah blah, make donations, and then I go and check it out and it's literally their iPhone.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: I I can't I mean I get it and I, I'm all about the hustle because it, at this point we don't have income. And so people have bills to pay and family to feed. I understand. But I can't, in good conscience, ask people for money if I'm not investing that money into a production. Um, and so, you know, the least you could do is give them a multi camera, full sound, uh, and staged performance so they can feel like they're at a show and not feel like they're in your living room. Which there's a, place, there's a time and place for that.
0: That's the vibe that, well, there is, there is. And that's the vibe that I get when I watch uh, live at the play at the playroom, is that each one of those stages has a personality of its own and, and that you're going there for the experience of it all.
1: Right, right. You're going for the experience. And it's like, yeah, you're in your home or you're in your office or wherever you're watching. You're in your car, whatever, wherever you're watching. But when you, it's just like a movie, you know, When you, when you dial in and focus in, you forget that you're in your home. You forget that you're in your office. You're actually in a concert in a in a venue, and that's what makes it super killing. Uh, and like I said, Charlotte, uh, we have a few venues that are doing that. I just think that right now the Playroom is the most uh, the most packed. I mean, it's the most uh, uh, well, souped up, if, if, if you will. <laughs> it's got the most you know accessories and everything. It's got full sound, a full stage and backline, lighting, uh, effects uh, four cameras, uh, you know, just, and and it always looks different. So it's it's just super killing.
0: Well, is the goal to become the next Austin city limits or is the goal to be, Hey, we're the playroom.
1: I think it started as that. I think, I think maybe Eddie might've had that intention of making it like the next version of Austin city limits. But I think as it grew and as he saw the potential that went out of the window, um, there there will never be another Austin City Limit. That's uh Austin City Limit is, is its own thing, you know? Um, uh, and and nobody can compare to that. Uh, but also that's the thing is Charlotte has 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 mimicked a lot of things about Austin. Uh <clears throat> which is cool. Uh, but at the end of the day, one of my ultimate goals, what I wanna see, and I'm not a I'm not a native of Charlotte, but I've been here long enough. This is home. Uh, and what I want to see with Charlotte, and what I take pride in, culture. And what I want to see is for us as a whole, as a culture, to be recognized globally, just like New Orleans or Chicago or New York or Philly or you know or Austin, Texas, you know, um, or Atlanta. I want us to have our own culture, our own artistic stamp our own artistic signature that people recognize i want people to come to charlotte for tourism because of the art not just because of the banking or the or the pretty city line the, the pretty skyline i want them to come because of the art um and i take i, t- I take a lot of pride in that uh because i'm seeing it come to fruition we're starting to you know, we're starting to gain our own culture. Uh, I talk about this a lot with people about how um, growing up and coming up in the music industry, one of the most uh, damaging things I saw, one of the most, you know, disturbing things was, you know, as a lo- as a quote-unquote local artist, when I was considered that, and for all of my colleagues who are local artists, we weren't getting support from our community, meaning yeah, we, we didn't have support from my community, meaning nobody wanted to pay to come see us. And the venues didn't want to pay, or the promoters didn't want to pay because the patrons didn't want to pay. They'd say, well, you know, but but if Beyonce came, you know, or, or Justin Timberlake came, or whoever, and it made me think, man, you know, how is it that you people, you know, that these local people are willing to spend hundreds of dollars on one night to be in the same room with someone they have no connection to and may never get a chance to even speak to. But you can't spend $20 to support someone that you've seen around, that you watched grow up or that you've watched build themselves up and that you can say, you know, you were a part of their culture. And I thought that was strange because, like, even on a smaller scale, um, you know, for example, a local artist here, I don't can't really name anybody off the top of my head, but a local artist here could do a show. And uh he could be right across the street from someone who came in from Philadelphia, right? And that artist from Philadelphia could have the same clout or the same amount of success as this local artist in Charlotte, right? But because the artist is from Philadelphia, more people are going to go to that show because that artist is not it. Uh and so You know, that that used to bother me. And so I made it like a kind of a, you know, uh, uh, a task of mine. I was like, I want to make it so that people in Charlotte uh, take more pride in our culture. And it's starting to happen. And one of the things I had to realize was the reason why, you know, people didn't take pride in our culture is because we didn't have one yet. We didn't have one because if you look at it, Charlotte is growing so fast. Everybody's coming in from all over the place. So they're bringing their pride for their culture from wherever they're from, you know? But now we're starting to see them take pride in the local culture because their kids are here and their kids are growing up in this culture. And so they're creating a culture that is Charlotte and it's super, it's super killing. So, um, so yeah, man, I, I know I went off on a tangent, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, man, I think that, um, uh, I think that the live you know, the playroom live thing, yeah, it started off as a concept to try to be something similar to Austin City Limits, but I think it's taken on its own identity completely. I mean you got you got Austin City Limits, you got Daryl's house. Do you remember yep. that? Yes. That?
0: Absolutely. Um, that was an experience. Yeah, was,
1: you, know, you got all these things that are that are great markers and great tools to learn from. And now we have an opportunity to make something like, you know, really what I want to see, man, is I want to see major artists say, I want to play the Playroom. Yeah. <laughs> I want to play the Playroom live. When can we do that? Or, hey, you know, I'm I'm coming through Charlotte on a tour. I want to do a live stream from the Playroom. Or an after party. You know what? We're doing a show in Charlotte, but we're going to do an after party jam session at the Playroom live stream. You know, that... That's what I want to see happen, where people literally, when they come to Charlotte, when artists come to Charlotte, that's, they know, you know, they just know, and they're asking. I want them to be asking about it, like, hey, you know, how can we get, I I see we're going to Charlotte, can we set up something? Or even from, from my standpoint, you know, and I haven't even talked to Eddie about this, this is what's crazy, from my standpoint being that I came up, you know, I'm an artist in my own right, but... I have always been a supporting role. I've always been a a, a, a a musician for other people, right? Now, with that being said, there are so many musicians who are well-known musicians, but they play in other people's bands, right? And what they do is they do pick-up gigs in the city in the on the off-day, right? Uh, I'm sure you've seen it. Marcy and the Grit, um, Sean and, and the guys from Snarky Puppy, you know, uh, uh, you know anybody's band, Anthony Hamilton and and, and his band, uh, you know whoever they always pick up, you know their own date. Isaiah Sharpie, you know they always pick up their own dates in the off days when they don't have to play with this major artist. If those guys are coming into town and they know they're coming into town, they might say, well, shoot, we're playing a concert on Friday, but we get in town on Thursday. I wonder if I can set up a show at the Playroom Do yep.
0: a live stream. Yep, sell me some tickets. You know? Sell me some tickets.
1: You see what I'm saying? And so they're like, no. And then that's, that's extra money to these. that's supplementing these supporting role artists that are trying to come up and, and make something of themselves. And then what happens is that major artist that they work for sees it and says, where is that place? <laughs> oh, well, I want to do that. You see? But it can't be it can't be the living room vibe. It has to be, you know, full production venue, you know, and that's what, that's what I like about the playroom. There's nothing about it that, that says that, nothing about the playroom says unprofessional. Like, everything is legit. And, and, and ideally, you know, that's why when you go, when you go to these major studios, they got all these aesthetics and everything up. It's not, it's not helping anything. Trust me. it's just, so the artists feel like they want to be there.
0: Yep, yep, yep. You know,
1: and that's what the that's what the playroom is. The playroom, yeah, I mean, it's got everything. Don't get me wrong. Everything in there is great, like especially the vault, especially since they added the vault. You have a full recording studio there that's fully functional, but it's perfect, and artists are going to say, wow, I like this. I like this. I want to do something like this, you know? And so uh, I'm just super excited to see what happens.
0: Well, they've got the right host for the show because it requires more than knowledge. It requires the experience of what it's like to be on that stage. And that's what you're gonna to bring to those viewers.
1: Oh yeah, I've been there i've been I've been in every aspect of that of that place. I think over my ten year over my tenure at playroom, I have been a tenant in like at least four of the practice rooms with different bands. Um, I've you know, one of my one of my life goals was to get on the wall, man. Yeah. That was one of my life goals. I was like, I got to get on that wall. There
0: you go. I know and that I, I know him. that wall you're talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah, I told Eddie. I said, man, I said, one day, you're going to put me on that wall. Said or, <laughs> said, or I'm going to go to Kinko's and get my own. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to plaster myself on that wall so you can't take it down. And he laughed. He laughed. <laughs> and then one day. He, he, he called me up and invited me to lunch, and I came to lunch. And he pulled out this framed picture of me in and Was like, I need you to sign this so I could put it on the wall. <laughs> I was like, I made it, I made it. You know, so not only that, now he's got the screen up on you know on the wall, and he's showing he's, he's playing videos of the performances at the playroom and I'm on that, so it's super exciting. Um, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's one of my goals, and like you know, it's a it's a it's a, it's a success monster. So. Yeah, I have the experience of the. I know that room. I know the experience. Um, I've been on both sides of it. I've been the artist. I've been on the production side, and and also I've been in the audience. I've watched. I've watched the live streams uh, with the ad and those guys playing there and different stuff. I've watched it, so I'm super excited. Man, I think I think that um, like I said, the timing was everything. Um, Eddie Eddie had this idea a long. Trust me, I mean it was a long time ago way before we knew anything about this whole pandemic thing or lockdowns or anything and he started uh, he started to put it together and then he kind of he stopped because like I said it was a health thing it was like we don't know how contagious this is we don't know if we can actually even do this without breaking any rules and then once we finally figured it out figured out how to be safe it just kind of fell together and and the more he does it the more they do it uh, the better it gets and it's just like you know like I can't wait to do another show because my show was one of the first ones um, so it was like you know it was great but now he's got extra effects he's mastered some of the things <laughs> yeah, with the camera
0: <laughs> that's so true
1: like, yeah I'm like wait I want that like I, you know right. I was watching the show I was watching the show and they got like LED screens in the that's background that's it that's I mean, it yeah that's it I didn't, I didn't get that I didn't get that <laughs> you no, know, like, where, where's mine? I wanna you know. <laughs> so like it just keeps getting better, man. I mean, imagine what's gonna happen when uh you know, ideally when when uh when they can uh well first thing first, imagine what's gonna happen when you can actually have a live audience in the room.
0: I was wondering about that.
1: Eventually that's of course that's what's gonna happen eventually. I, I mean I don't know for sure. Because I, you know, I haven't spoken to Eddie about it, but I imagine that that's what's going to happen. You're going to start having. I mean, we had the playroom festival in there.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: When it rained, we had the playroom festival in there, and it was great. Um, and I liked it because it was it was crowded, but it was You know, I had never experienced that room in that way. And one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things for an artist artist to do. I didn't realize it until I did my performance at the playroom. Um, I'll say this. When I did my performance at the one, I was scared, terrified, because, listen, I, when this whole pandemic thing hit, I quarantined because I had been traveling the West Coast and Alaska and all these hot spot places. Um, I had been on a cruise ship right before that in February. You know, like, I I had been everywhere. So I was like, I don't want to, you know, if I catch it, I catch it. But I I don't want to be responsible for anyone else. Catch the virus, um, and so I quarantined. When I got home, when I got home, I ordered. I mean, I to this day, actually, to this day, I have not been in a, in a grocery store since March. I order, I order everything. I order everything, and so when uh, when it was time for my show um, in May, when we when we did soundcheck, I had not been out of my apartment complex in eight weeks. So I almost, I, I want to call it like PTSD or something because I was having anxiety attacks. I was scared. I was like, you know, just being around people was was super uh, unnerving to me and, and uncomfortable. And so, I mean, I was, I was, I was really terrified. And then on top of that, once we got started and got the show going, um, I didn't realize how hard it is to play with no reciprocated energy. Yeah. There's, no <laughs> There's nobody to respond to.
0: Right.
1: So it's. I mean, it's. Super, I mean, you got to give these people credit when they're doing these live streams because they have no one to respond to. They have. You know. You know, performing is all about energy, and performing is all about you know giving re- energy and receiving it back. That's what makes a great performance. And if you don't have that other aspect, you don't have an audience, a physical audience, it's super hard. And, you know, even, even in that eight weeks that I was quarantining, I was doing some online stuff with um, some friends and developing some things. And we were doing online performances for people, you know, via like using like OBS and, and Zoom. But even with that, we could see our audience. We could see the Zoom people signing in and watching it. And dancing and smiling and we were getting energy from them, so we were able to. It was so much easier playing live with a with a band and and all of that energy and not getting anything back is. I mean, it took everything out of me. I mean, by the third song, I was soaking wet. <laughs> soaking wet. <laughs> and we did we did forty minutes. We did forty minutes, man. I felt like we were on stage for three hours.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: And so it's really crazy. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's all about energy. And I think that's the way it's going to go eventually. And then, you know, um, I think that with this whole setup, the beauty of it is, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that most of it is mobile. So Eddie could literally take this whole Playroom live thing anywhere. Anywhere. So you could do an outdoor concert and make it a live stream show
0: man you got to come back to this show anytime in the future you've got some stories and i definitely want to hear these stories
1: oh, yeah. anytime man anytime I, i'm I, like i said i have nothing else to do i'm literally here <laughs> just, i'm drinking some coffee waiting for the sun to come out so i can go upstairs and make some music
0: there you go <laughs> i love it i love it please come back anytime the door is always going to be open for you
1: man anytime you you just call man just call you got my number now
0: i do i do Well, you be brilliant today okay guy Yeah, man. I'll see you soon. That's Play It Forward. You can hear other conversations just like this one on all three of my podcasts. Like It's Live, Unplugged and Totally Uncut, and View from the Writing Instrument, all found on every digital platform. First the trailer to Season 1 of Seal Team, and then when we come back, we'll be Unplugged and Totally Uncut with AJ Buckley. I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Do we have the resources to rescue the hostage, As soon as the sun goes down. Good luck.
1: Seal's at this level. These guys are all stars.
2: You make it back home to us. It's
0: good work. Hey, what's going on, AJ? How's it going? Hey, how about that first season already out on DVD? I mean, you have created a show here that is so worth the binge watching. What is that like for you to be in a situation like this, knowing what your journey has been all about? Uh,
3: you know, you know, as, a, as an actor to portray, you know, uh, the men and women that, you know, have fought for this country, uh, it's, uh, it's a huge honor. I mean, uh, it's a dream role, too, for any actor. You... Um, you get to show up to work every day and fly on Blackhawks and, and shoot guns and um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a job that you always dream of having and, um, and to be surrounded by such great people um, that have served and, um, you know, over half of our crew are, are veterans, um, our entire stunt team are all former special forces guys. So just get to go to work with them every day is, uh, is really special.
0: Don't you, don't you love that moment where you can actually tell the stories of, of our U S soldiers? Because I mean, Oliver North was the one that looked at me and said, I'm not a broadcaster until I tell the story of the soldier. Do you feel the same thing?
3: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, it's important to, to all of us on the, on the set that we get it right. And that we tell the story um, from their eyes and, the, and what they've been through, and I take great pride in the fact that you know, from all our producers um, to when we're when we're on set, you know, there's nothing that doesn't go through our tech advisors, and they who are our f- former special guys, Seal Team Six guys, that they have the final say. If as far as if we're doing something that's incorrect, they can step in at any time. So there is a, a great respect for. Um,
0: how the story is portrayed. For preparing for the role, uh, what kind of um, workouts or anything that you had to put your body into to uh, get yourself <laughs> in shape to prepare this Navy SEALs role?
3: Oh, uh, man. I thought it was in good shape until we started doing this show. <laughs> it, uh, it's a whole other level of, uh, of fitness. I mean, we, you're, we're shooting like 13, 14-hour days. We'll usually go to the gym prior to work. Um, and then all the equipment that we carry up, uh, on us is about 30 or 40 pounds, um, of equipment They use all wheel stuff. So you're running up and down hills all day and, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely, there's nothing that you can really, uh, train for. You just have to, your body just has to adjust and it takes, it takes a while to adjust, but your, <laughs> your, your, your body just goes, okay, I guess this is the norm and I gotta make it work. So, uh, but, but anything, the one thing that... You know, we did learn through these guys is it isn't how physically strong you are, it's how mentally tough you are. And that, to me, was the most fascinating thing. They would say just even in Buds or whatnot when they were going through it, they would see these huge guys, these physical specimens, and those would be the guys to break first. Um, So it's how mentally tough these guys are, to me, is the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. Yeah, man, sounds like a lot of CrossFit stuff going on there. But um, anyways arrow was talking to you about uh it, the first series coming out on cd and stuff like that um were you guys looking into possibly putting this series out on like netflix or hulu or one of those binge watching sites yeah i'm sure i know the dvd uh uh will be it's out available it's available now um but, I'm sure, as most shows do, they end up on other platforms with uh, cause I don't know offhand where they be, but I know you can get the DVD right away.
0: Does this inspire you to want to get into your own um directing and producing of shows, but now that now that you're really getting yourself involved in it?
3: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you know, I've directed stuff in the past, uh, but you know this is I mean from when i would, when I did CSI, uh, that was like me going to college, as far as film school and whatnot, because you're just there, you're there all day, every day. it's, it's with this show in, in particular as well. It's you're are surrounded by these great directors that come in, and our executive producer Chris Chulak, is, you know, done shows ER t- through uh, Shameless, Southland. So this their style of directing is something that I really like. So yeah, it's, uh, to be surrounded by greatness all the time, you you, you pick up a thing or two.
1: All right, you talked a lot about mental toughness being a a very focal point as well as physical toughness. Toughness, Where do you give a testament to your own mental toughness throughout your life? Where do you think that comes from?
3: 100% from my father. Uh, Yeah, my dad was uh, just – yeah, he he was – yeah, he was just a great man, and, and uh, uh, he, he passed away a few years ago, but just his ability to uh, provide for the family and his work ethic and uh, how he was looked um, at by his friends and by my mom and all our kids. So, yeah, it, my, from my father, for sure.
0: Hey, if you'd like to grab more info about A.J. Buckley and SEAL Team, CBS.com. You know, there are certain subjects we should be talking about such as taking better care of the pigs. No, really, really. There's a reason why we're talking about this, and it's going to change the way you think, and quite possibly eats. Hey, it's Arrow inside the LAProductions.us studio. Unplugged and totally uncut with Alicia Sultanpana. We're talking pigs. I mean, enough people this morning have probably have had breakfast <laughs> and things like this, but they just don't understand the message that you're bringing forward here, and it is an eye-opener.
2: Yeah, it, it definitely is. I think a lot of people are not aware of uh, how pigs are raised in the U.S. or around the world, and so you know, our message is really to get people educated about uh, where their pork is coming
0: from. North Carolina is a big pig state. We hear so many bad stories, but, but, but nobody really knows what to do or how to correct it you. <laughs>
2: Yeah. In fact, uh, I think North Carolina had the first lawsuit where uh, I think the neighbors were awarded $5 million in damages because of the environmental effects of the factory pig farm. I, I think that um, if you live in a state where there, there are factory farms, you're aware of the smell and, and kind of the environmental damage that will happen. But I think where people are, might be aware of the environmental effects, but you have to think of, too, that the pigs um, that are raised in the conditions are pork that you're ingesting and that is not healthy uh, for the pigs it's not healthy for humans um, it's doing a, a lot of damage and I think that the way that pigs are raised now they're raised in gestation crates which are no longer bigger than our refrigerator they have no room to turn around or move uh, they are steel cages most pigs are raised without ever seeing the light of day or feeling the ground underneath their feet they are on steel floors with uh, very limited space, and they become extremely frustrated. They become ill very often because this is not a healthy way to be raised. Um, pigs are often are very sentient be- beings and often, are often compared to the children that are age three. That's how intelligent they are. And imagine your toddler uh, being in restricted in space and not being able to interact with other children, not being able to interact with toys. Pigs need enrichment. They need straw to play around and root in. They need toys to be able to to play around with. And right now they're just being raised in very barren environments. And uh, they, in fact, antibiotics are used on a regular basis as a preventative measure and to actually make them grow faster. And those a- antibiotics are will get passed along to humans. And so our message is really for people to understand that uh, pork is not being raised in, in the way that they probably think that is.
0: The one thing that always kills me about they, most people, especially the government and local officials, won't do anything about these pig factory uh, factory farms. But yet, if there was a puppy mill somewhere, they'd bust that in a heartbeat. But but, but we can treat <laughs> pigs wrong, but 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 don't don't touch the puppies. I don't understand that because pigs need love too.
2: Right. Well, and I think that that comes because of demand, right? So I think even even with uh, puppy mills, I think the reason, if you looked, you know, thirty, forty years ago, nobody, nothing was being done about puppy mills as well. And I think as consumers become educated and they understand that these things are coming about and they start to protest and talk about it, that's where the change comes from, and that's what we believe too. We believe the change is going to come from consumers who are demanding that they know where their pork is coming from. They they demand that it be higher welfare pork. They let their grocery stores or the retailers know that they, they, they want pork to be raised more humanely, okay. and that they understand what is going on. Um, part of the thing, too, is, is that pork production in the United States has doubled over the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, we consume about two, 271 pounds of meat per year, more than any other country in the world. Mm-hmm. So, as, as if we want, also for pork production over the years, Pigs to be raised more humanely and the quality of our meat to go up, we also would ask people to reduce our meat consumption, you know, give up maybe one meal a day. Uh, Americans are known to eat meat at every meal. Maybe give up one meal a day without meat. Um, I don't think it's asking a real lot, and if they can do that, the demand will also go down so that pigs can be raised in better conditions.
0: Something really started taking over this nation back in the 1980s, and that was turning pigs into pets, mm-hmm. and and to this day, I still see these yeah. pigs. I, I don't think that we're taking care of them even as pets. Is it wise to even bring a, a pig in as a pet?
2: Uh, yeah I think it is but I think that what's happened in things that I've seen is that um, pigs are adorable right people people really do like them as pets they're great pets I think that sometimes however uh, people even in uh, you know I'm in New York City and in New York City I've seen people take in pigs as pets not realizing that they're barnyard pigs yeah. so they're baby pigs and they're you know maybe 20-25 pounds not realizing that these are going to be five or 600 pound pigs when they grow up and so what's what's happened in this city is that they take them in as pets and then they are they're going to have to go to a sanctuary or, or farm sanctuary yeah. i've even known people even move out of the city because they can't care for their pig they could become so attached to it yep. um pigs are excellent pets for sure uh you just need the the space and the room to raise a huge pig like that but there are also smaller pigs um pot pigs etc that people have as pets in their People love them as pets. They're great pets. One of the things they're intelligent. They can be trained. Yes,
0: they can. I've seen some very trained ones. One of the things that I found very interesting is that we're talking about the mistreatment of pigs. It affects the air that we breathe because (laughs) they're releasing gases that the rest of us can't see
2: correct right and i think that's why this lawsuit in north carolina the neighbors were uh given so much money the five million dollar lawsuit it, i think it's going to be appealed but i think that people need to understand it not only is it in the air that you breathe but these huge factory farms are also releasing notch, uh you know impurities into the water and they're forever polluting lakes and ponds and the ground and you know that will never ever come back um you'll see if, if anybody googles this see air shots of these pig farms, and the lakes by them are green and brown and yep. have turned from regular water, and that will never, never recover. So we're really, har- hugely harming the environment as well.
0: What What is in it that's that we we're, we're, we're can't even recover? I mean, they, we're, you make me feel like it's like nuclear energy being put in the ground. <laughs>
2: So, so it's, it's, it's mainly nitrogen and, wow. um, you know, other toxic gases that are going into the ground. So it's, you know, and nitrogen isn't bad in itself, but the amount is bad that is going in and that's why it can never recover. It's, it's the, you know, it's the manure that comes out of the pigs in huge quantities that can't naturally be absorbed into the earth. Yeah, yeah.
0: Do you, are you guys doing a pig podcast or anything like that to where you guys can keep people up to date?
2: Uh, No, we're not. But we do have information on our website about uh, and we do keep it up to date to let people know uh, what we're working on. We are currently working on a campaign to get grocery stores to change their policy so that they source pigs uh, from non-gestation crate-free environments. And we recently worked with Kroger to get them to move, and they have changed their policy so that in 2025, they will no longer source pork from, from manufacturers that produce them in gestation crates. And gestation crates are just an, another word for cages, that, yeah. steel cages that pigs are raised in.
0: Yeah. Oh, you're doing a fine job. What is that website?
2: It's worldanimalprotection.us, and we encourage people to come back, look to our campaign, sign up for updates, and, and you'll hear a lot about what we're doing. But we also encourage people, please go to your grocery stores, take action on a local level, go to your Walmart, who we're currently working with. We want them to change their policies as well, and ask... Ask your grocer where does support come from.
0: Yep, yep. yep. You were talking about Kroger. Kroger owns Harris Teeter here in the Carolinas. Harris Teeter is one of the yes. biggest chains. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait for that change to happen. Yes. Excellent,
2: excellent. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, I, we really applaud Kroger for making that step. They're the first major grocer to do so, and I think they're going to really help change the industry. I so, know. we we look forward to more changes in the future.